Ciao, bonjour, hola, hello, my degenerate angels. Welcome back to your favorite Amtrak Acela expedited train into the deepest, darkest depths of the human experience. For those of you who are somehow just discovering this podcast, first of all, shame on you. Open your eyes to the wonders of the world. And second of all, welcome. My name is Allie Weiss. I am a Z-list performer and writer who is obsessed with all of the people, ideas, and experiences that the majority of society considers weird, scary, inaccessible, or just downright unacceptable. And this is Tales of Taboo, a totally anonymous show that's somewhere between a church confessions booth, a therapist's office, and if I'm being honest, the Maury Povich show. And the response to the first round of casting and submissions for ex-fashion industry employees was so incredible. It turns out y'all are actually very eager to talk about getting underpaid and abused and exploited. And naturally, I absolutely adore it. So this week, we are keeping the not-so-glamorous stories rolling. Um, we're also trying something a little different, where instead of me reading each written submission back-to-back first and then getting into the audios, we're going to alternate them, just because it's always good to keep things spicy. It's a good one today, so without further ado... Let's get into it. I worked for a boho California girl brand that's popular on Instagram. I applied online but got it through messaging them hard on Insta and then got invited to meet with the owner, for which I wore the brand head to toe and came with ideas. I got the job offer within a week. I was hired as an intern initially, but eventually became the staple sale coordinator, part-time Venice Beach and Newport Beach shop girl, personal assistant, warehouse assistant, and production coordinator that helped get the clothes made. Being an intern means you get to do all the not-sexy jobs that make a company work. Sample sale pricing, supplying stores with inventory from HQ, updating Pinterest, creating stories for social media, running errands for the owners, helping pack and ship out orders, organize the warehouse, sell samples and other things on Depop, the list goes on and on. In the beginning, things were fast-paced and fun, and I can't pinpoint exactly when it all changed. Maybe when they transitioned to -to direct-to-consumer and also cut ties with Revolve. The end result was not pretty. They were planning on moving out of this downtown LA building that looks so cool it hurt and into a small Culver City-adjacent warehouse more fit for a burgeoning brand than a locally well-known label once sold on Revolve, Free People, and many other popular retailers. The mood turned sour. There was a remarkable amount of tension you could cut with a knife and serve on a plate. And you know how everyone thinks fashion people don't eat? They don't. When everyone started talking about what they were going to order for lunch, I would get excited to order food as a group of six girls. Nope. They'd either eat salads, which were literally just lettuce and microgreens, or an avocado, or a bone broth. I was a size six, so a bit on the heavier side to be working in fashion. Everyone else was a size two and under. It's worth noting that the brand's pants never fit me correctly. Silk that's bursting at the seams does not a good garment make. Also, they only ever used white models up until BLM, obviously, and their price range is geared towards wealthy women. When attempting to do their social media, they never let me put a cute, normal-looking girl on their feed. 
it was only thin blondes or hot brunettes. Once the production girl was let go, I was tasked, without ever being officially asked, to take on this job and its responsibilities after running only a handful of production errands. And I quickly learned that the company was not as well organized as I thought it was. I constantly showed up to pick up items that needed to be given off to another part of the production chain, sometimes within 24 hours, only to be told we hadn't paid them in months and they couldn't release the products without payment. I once came to a warehouse to pick up a big order of garments. After waiting for 20 minutes, I was confronted by an angry warehouse manager who told me we owed them $5,000. I kept apologizing to the production vendors even though it wasn't my mistake to apologize for, and I began questioning the company's morals when my check would clear, but the seamstress, who spent hours sewing garments in her garage in Compton, asked me about why her check bounced. This happened multiple times, and I started to put the pieces together. When I realized I was basically full-time, working four different jobs at the company, I felt that it was my right to ask about being given a title and a small raise. $15 an hour was not enough for this level of work. I went to go discuss my ideas about my future at the company with my bosses, but was told by their assistant, who literally sat three feet away from them, that they were busy and I could talk to her. I brought up the points about working there for a year, doing a bunch of things, and having my role change quite a lot within the last year. So, you don't like your job? The assistant asked. No, I do like it. I just want to have a title of what I am at the company, I replied. You're just an intern, she said. If you don't like being an intern, you can email me by the end of the day and let me know that you don't want to work here anymore. My bosses never intervened or stepped in to say anything. I made eye contact with them a few times during it, and they still said and did nothing. Later that night, I texted the assistant to apologize for any miscommunication, and it seemed to be fine. But two hours later, I got an email saying I'd been fired. I was obsessed with the brand when I started there, but literally had to put all my clothes in a box in my closet and didn't touch or wear them for months. It was really triggering. From my body image, to having an all-female company be the literal plastics from Mean Girls, to firing me in such a fucked up way, it took so long and a lot of therapy to overcome and move forward both emotionally and physically. In 2014, I was hired as an executive assistant to the VP of Brand and Visual Merchandising at BCBG Max Azria. I was in this position for about a year and I made $32,000 in Los Angeles. I typically worked anywhere from 10 to 12 hours a day and my general responsibilities were Uh, Managing my boss's calendar, getting her meals, booking travel, organizing fashion week, completing expense reports for the entire department, picking up clothing, keeping her office organized, and sometimes managing personal tasks. She was the type of person who, much like Miranda Priestley, you could sense such deep disappointment when you didn't complete things to her standards. She was incredibly chic, but also incredibly scary without yelling or saying very much. It was imperative that I beat my boss into the office every day, which I totally understood. I needed to have everything ready for her so she could begin her day productively. Some of these things included um, getting her tea ready, and she had to always drink her tea with a straw that was individually wrapped. She was a bit of a germaphobe, and I always needed to be very mindful of this. 
Um, I was often told that the most important thing that I did for her was to get her lunch. So you can imagine the pressure in this situation. She typically ordered out, which it was actually against company policy for executive assistants to leave the office to get our boss's lunch. But it was required that I did this for my boss as well as for her two directors. They uh, made a very big deal out of lunch. I had to present her with um, several menus for her to choose from every day at 11. So I could then go get her food and have it back to her no later than 1230. And often um, this meant that I had to drive into downtown Los Angeles and I used my lunch hour for this. So I actually had to clock out and eat my lunch while I drove to get her lunch She typically paid in cash and would often not give me the correct change. So I ended up spending a lot of money out of my own pocket to complete her lunch purchases. Also, she was very, very picky about what her lunches were. But at the same time, she did not want me to touch her food in any way. Hence that germaphobe thing I mentioned earlier. So sometimes I had to make the people reopen the food if they had already packed it so I could visually check everything without touching it. This created a lot of problems. I went back and forth from restaurants several times um, if things weren't to her liking and to her standard. And uh, lunch was always a really big stressor for me each day. There was one instance of me getting uh, my boss's lunch one day where I was actually involved in a really um, bad hit and run accident. There was um, somebody who had committed a crime and stole a vehicle and he was fleeing from the cops while I was parked at a light and it ended up totaling my car. My boss was really concerned that I would report this to HR and actually gave me three days off paid. This was honestly probably the best thing that happened to me during my time there. There were no glamorous perks or fun events or anything like that. But those three days was really uh, great back um, when I was dealing with a lot of the stressors of this job. I did have to clock out at five every day, but typically stayed well past 8 p.m. to complete my tasks. I had to be there until my boss left, and so sometimes that would stretch on into the evening hours, and I never was paid for these hours. I did raise up this concern to a senior manager within my department, and she told me that they did not have the money to pay overtime, but I still needed to do my job. Ultimately, I went on to find um, a really great position under a really great boss who then became my mentor. But um, I will say this definitely was a very eye-opening experience to the fashion industry as a whole. I think the fashion industry went through a lot of changes in the early 2010s, and uh, it still continues to change a lot to this day. But I will never again compromise kind of my own personal sanity for a job that appears to be glamorous. I worked for Linda Farrow Eyewear and had over double the responsibility that is considered reasonable within the industry. I would regularly get in hours early and stay hours late. And the owner and his brother, the COO, regularly voiced their opinion that anyone who left on time was uninvested and just a clock watcher. The COO was notorious for walking around the office at 10 minutes past closing time and making a list as to who was there and who wasn't. The brothers regularly called people late at night, on the weekend, or on their off days and asked them to come to work or ask them work-related questions that other people would have known or they could have waited for. 
So the COO is the second most powerful person in the entire company. He has complete responsibility for everything to do with logistics, sales, and most importantly, finance. And his job before this had been a magician. I know that sounds insane, but it's true. He was a really nice guy, but he would regularly pull people out into the hallway to listen to him talk through his thoughts in a really circular way, often repeating himself, going wildly off topic, and on several occasions showing me memes for 40 minutes to an hour. Visitors to the office would often see him juggling. The owner moved him to an office by himself to try and stop him from taking so much of people's time up, but all that happened is he started to call us and ask him to come to his office for chats. Wow. The owner is a nightmare, incredibly egotistical, uses the company as his personal expenses company. The finance team was responsible for both paying and managing his bills on his own house, including gas and electricity. He was sexist and cruel to almost everyone within the business. He would publicly and aggressively berate anyone from directors down to interns if he felt they were falling short, and he had obvious favorites, usually young, beautiful girls, who he would compare to other people endlessly. He would regularly become enraged when he had to adhere to best practice or laws or any kind of rules. He screamed so loudly that people in the showroom could hear what a salesperson became pregnant, and he found out he couldn't fire her for being pregnant and would be legally obliged to pay maternity. He regularly objected to hiring or promoting women, particularly in senior positions. This was common knowledge. During annual salary reviews, he and the COO would use a ruler to go down the employee list line by line and arbitrarily decide on new salaries based on who was in favor at the time. Despite the fact that the salaries are really, really low, they insisted that everyone wore designer clothing. And on one occasion, he said no one should be wearing anything, quote, lower than Comme des Garçons. On one occasion, the HR manager was talking with the owner and his brother in a small room. They got into an argument, which was usual, but it became physical and they fought with the small woman directly between them. They ended up running out of the room, chasing each other to the nearest park. The owner started the company as it currently is with his wife. They worked together on it for around 10 years and she was very senior in the business. But the wife got an intern, who he cheated on her with, filed for divorce, married, and then knocked up the intern, then moved her into the building and gave her an office for her jewelry business about 10 feet away from his ex-wife. When his ex-wife rightly complained that she felt weird about it, he told her publicly, I pay your salary. If you don't like it, you can leave. Once the owner turned on you, you would be kicked out for literally any reason. He one time had a meeting with a junior person who he had previously agreed to sponsor so she could stay in the UK. He felt that she wasn't, quote, bold enough in the meeting. English was her second language. So he fired her and she lost her visa. When COVID hit, everyone asked to work from home. He flatly refused any flexibility whatsoever, with one employee with a sick and vulnerable grandma being told that if they wanted to work from home, they could take unpaid leave. In the end, the HR manager publicly begged him to consider some flexibility for the most vulnerable employees, after which he mocked her behind her back to other senior managers and still held out until it became legally mandated to stay at home. 
Once that happened, he immediately put around 50 people on unpaid leave and many more on furlough, then rolled out massive redundancies. Several people were then contacted privately and secretly and asked to work while on furlough, which is illegal. So I used to work at Teen Vogue magazine back when uh, the Devil Wears Prada came out. So that same summer, I was working there in the fashion closet. It was pretty stressful. I wouldn't say that I'd ever work in a magazine ever again. Uh, It was a lot of, you know, in before everybody else, out after everybody else for no pay as I was an intern. We ran a lot of errands for the editors or like when they would go to the Hamptons on the weekend, we would be in charge of going to find like pool floaties and packing up uh, stuff for their kids to use on the weekend. Uh, We'd go and do a lot of coffee errands for everybody. Elsie from the Hills didn't actually work at Teen Vogue. And I remember the week that she came in that she was supposed to be working at the New York City office. And uh, the film crew came in and we weren't allowed in that day. It was super fake. Kenneth Cole's daughter worked there when we were there. Uh, she was about 16 at the time. She came in and interned with us and she was treated like royalty. It was kind of crazy. The girl that had the position that we were offered after our internship ended, um, it was $30,000 a year. And the girl that had the position before us lived in this beautiful apartment, had these brand new designer purses, wore designer clothes, um, just looked you know, perfect. I'm like, how does she afford this on $30,000 a year? Uh, well, her family owned a football team down in Florida, so her dad paid for everything. Um, everybody that worked there was uh, Florida State alum. They were all sorority sisters. That's how they got the positions. I wasn't at all. I was like odd girl out, but um, I did make a lot of uh, friends there, but I'd never, ever work in a magazine ever again. And the Devil Wears Prada was a true depiction of what it was like on the Vogue floor. It was really crazy up there. I had to go up there a few times and just the culture was very, very toxic. I had a friend that was working as a model in New York City and I was just starting my career in New York City in fashion. Uh, she was connecting me with a designer that was seen on a TV show in the 2000s and was also seen in a lot of magazines with the Hills cast members on a lot of like Victoria's Secret models and other famous people. Uh, so she wanted to introduce me to him and my parents at the time, because I was under 21, they let me go to this man's house. Um, I went with myself, my girlfriend, who was a model that worked for him, and one of my other roommates. And we went to his house in Long Island or Staten Island. I can't remember which one. Uh, we took the train there. It was at night. We pulled up to his house and this young girl answered the door and let us in. She couldn't have been maybe 15, 16 years old. A little blonde girl was not related to him at all because he's uh, of ethnic descent. uh, That's all I'm going to say. 
And he, uh, let, or she led us into this room that almost looked like a harem. And we sat on the floor on these pillows and she had a phone in her hand. And every time the phone would ring, she would say the designer's name and, uh, you know, she was kind of like his secretary. He wouldn't answer his own phone, even though it was in his hand. She, he would hand it to her and she would, uh, answer it and say, Oh, I have so and so on the phone for this designer. And he would then answer the phone and it was kind of weird. And he invited us for dinner. So we go and sit down at the table and he's kind of really weird. And there's just a bunch of other young girls at the house that work for him. And he starts asking us if we want to stay the night. And that's, that was kind of like the second red flag. And I, my senses kind of went up and I said, I need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. And I said, you know, I think we're going to actually leave. He's like, well, you can't. Um, there's no more trains back to the city. It was a Sunday night. Uh, and that's when me and my girlfriends ran out of the house. We hiked a few miles and finally got to a 7-Eleven. And we were, this was before, you know, cell phones were at the ready. We had cell phones, but it, you know, there was no Ubers or anything like that. So we're sitting at a 7-Eleven, sitting outside on the curb and a police officer pulls up and He's like, what, what are you ladies doing? And we kind of told him the whole thing. And I think we were crying at the point that we were like, you know, we thought we were going to be trapped at this guy's house. Um, you know, there's no other ways back to the city. We don't have any money on us. How are we supposed to get back? And he drove us to the nearest train station that was uh, open that had a train back to the city. He gave us a few bucks and, and we got back. Um, but a few years later, this designer is now in jail because he was, uh, raping young women, raping models, um, and doing all this insane stuff at his house. So I'm glad that he's in jail now, but he definitely took advantage of a lot of women. I worked for the footwear company Dolce Vita as a designer. I was hired as a brand manager and in six months was able to network my way into an assistant designer role. I taught myself how to sketch and use Illustrator and Photoshop and never went to college. My first boss there was really patient and wanted to coach me. She had worked for the company for 10 years and was laid off in a very surprising and dramatic way. The president and founder had hired her replacement three weeks before letting her go and lied about why he was in the office and what his role was. When she was laid off, I was promoted to a lead designer, which I was definitely not qualified for at the time. I think this was to smooth over any anger my team and I had about how everything happened. My responsibilities included correspondence with our team in China, trend research, sketching, and development of footwear. I was working 24-7. I'd wake up at 6 a.m. and start emailing with our office in China. From 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., I'd be in the office. And then when I got home, I would wrap up email or spend time researching trends until about 11 p.m. I would spend two to three weeks in China four times a year, two weeks shopping Europe and U.S. cities. When we had shows, we were expected to hang out and go to dinners with clients as well. It was all-consuming. I thought this was normal, but now that I no longer work for Dolce Vita and I'm at a new company, I realize how insane that schedule was. 
On top of all that, the culture in the office was very clicky, and if you weren't best friends with the managers, you were an outcast. I also worked with Steve Madden. He bought Dolce Vita a few years back, and we'd have to present outlines to him every season. I was part of a few meetings where he would scream at us, made a pregnant designer cry, threw a shoe across the room, which was a very common occurrence, and always made jokes about being in prison. Nordstrom was a nightmare to work with. Their buyers have a god complex and would bully our designers into changing designs or creating exclusive stuff for them. If we didn't do it, they would move on to another brand and Dolce Vita would lose millions. One of our sales reps once told me, sometimes you have to have sex with a four just to make them feel better. They'll worship you. I reported this weird interaction to the president and there were no repercussions at all or follow up with me. This guy was a top salesperson with Southern charm and at a majority woman employed company, he was fawned over and flirted with while he made inappropriate comments like that. The joke within the company was that the founder and president only hired thin brunette girls with big boobs. If you looked around the office, you'd realize it wasn't a joke. So gross. I even heard the president make jokes about it himself. In addition, there was an older woman on the team in her 40s who was single, and the founder and president would refer to her as Dusty. When I asked what that was all about, she told me that it was because she doesn't get laid. So I guess because her vagina is dusty? What the fuck? She was laughing when she told me about it, but I could tell that it bothered her. On another note, my manager, the aforementioned Dusty from above, did not like me at all. She would leave me out of meetings I should have been at, not approve the budget for me to do things the other designers were doing, which made my job a hundred times harder. Out of a team of two designers, she would only approve for the other designer on my team to travel, shop, go to meetings, get raises and bonuses. I bluntly asked the other designer if our manager had an issue with me, and he told me that she fucking hated me. She would roll her eyes at me when I talked, straight up gave me silent treatment, or make Nick communicate things to me. She'd be upset if I got to the office at 8.30 a.m. instead of 8 a.m., even though everyone in the office had flexible start times as long as you were there by 10. She'd cut out of work at 4 p.m. every day and then ask my assistant how late I worked. Mind you, I was at the office working until 8 p.m. every single day. There were so many perks. We'd have these enormous holiday parties with circus performers, models, and open bar. They were legendary. For those parties, we would get a $300 budget to expense on an outfit to wear. In addition, we'd get $200 for clothing to wear at our shows that happened five times a year. We all had company cards with no limits on them and could expense alcohol, Ubers, really anything we wanted. But I absolutely was not paid a fair salary. I was working insane hours and so many weekends. When I was hired as an assistant, I was getting paid $45,000. The company had a policy where you got paid overtime if you were paid under 50k. So when I got promoted, they told me my new salary would be $50,300 just so they wouldn't have to pay out all the overtime I was having to work. I ended up getting paid less than I was making when my salary was $45,000. I complained about it and the president would always say, I'll see what I can do and then never follow up. It all ended around covid I was furloughed, then eventually laid off. In the end, it all worked out, though. 
I now work for a larger brand with more opportunity, way better pay, and a super supportive manager. I worked for a celebrity stylist. I will not say their name, but I will say that Pete Davidson is one of their clients. My daily responsibilities started out as very normal stylist assistant jobs. It was doing returns, pickups, lots and lots of emails. But then it kind of turned into me being her personal assistant at the end of my internship, which is part of the reason why I didn't want to stay with her. It was an internship, so I wasn't getting paid and I didn't want to be spending my time dropping off her apartment keys on her birthday at a bar when I was supposed to be studying for school. I would say that the most entitled client I ever worked with was a choreographer that worked for Childish Gambino. But I remember showing up to the hotel room and having to wait 45 minutes outside the door because she was hungover and didn't want to answer the door. She was awake, but she just didn't want to answer the door. Didn't respond to any of our texts or calls. Didn't respond to the hotel lobby and made us wait until she had showered and gotten ready. But she also didn't let us inside the hotel room. She just opened the door and threw a very expensive dress out into the floor, along with $100,000 worth of jewelry at the other girl that was picking up. So that was definitely not the best time. So the coolest person we worked with was Ronnie Jones, for sure. It was for one of the politician premieres, which is a series on Netflix. She was very humble. I met her family. They were very, very kind. She, we got her ready in her hotel room and she was just such a lovely person to work with and so excited and so nice and kind. And so were her parents. And I could tell that she was raised very well. One of the most deafening experiences I had was the blatant fat phobia towards other interns and assistants in the office. But I had never seen women so okay with just insulting people to their face, to be honest. I think that was so shocking to me, especially because these were not like young adults. These were women who had hired underpaid, some of them teenage girls, and would just be so ruthless to them for no reason. It's like they were getting paid either. And I even heard things said about myself. Um, I remember a specific one where my boss was told other people in the office that she was upset that I had worn leggings on a press day. And I just remember being shocked in my head being like, you called me at 7 a.m. because your other assistant bailed on you when I wasn't even supposed to be seeing you until 1 p.m. that day. So I showed up to work five hours earlier than planned because you needed me immediately. And I'm sorry, leggings was the best you got that day if you wanted me to run around. A camera was installed. We were told this camera was just for in case something got lost or stolen. And that was that. It wasn't the type of camera that even recorded sounds unless you were watching it live. And towards the end of my time there, we noticed that both the stylists would be coming into work later and later and later into the day. And some of the girls were just not coming back and we weren't sure why until one of my friends was one of the girls that didn't come back. We found out that the stylist had been sitting at home when they weren't at work and just watching us talk to each other on the live feed of the camera. And some girls got fired from that because they would hear us talking shit. (laughs) 
I mean, that was very normal behavior in the office in general. So I'm not sure why they were surprised, but I'm pretty sure that's why she didn't ask me to stay with her is because even though I was her best assistant at the time, she knew I despised her. I was doing an internship and under agreement, I was supposed to get credit for my school, but because of some of the timing of when she signed the contracts, I ended up getting no credit. I did eight months of work for her for free at the end of the day. While working in the fashion industry, I kind of bopped around from all different aspects. I interned for a long time to get my foot in the door. I also worked in retail and then ended up getting a job in the technical design department of fashion where I kind of spent most of my years being a technical design assistant for numerous different companies. I worked for Zach Posen, Halston, Worth New York, Susanna Monaco, Kate Spade, Lacoste, just to name a few. Um, I actually was working in retail in Philadelphia once I graduated and had found out that Sarah Jessica Parker was the new creative director of the new Halston brand. Halston was getting a rebranding from the 60s. I just wanted to be a part of that company working under Sarah Jessica Parker. I thought it'd be a really cool opportunity. So one morning I booked a bus ticket to Philadelphia and I packed my portfolio. And I found where the headquarters of Halston was located in New York. I don't know if you can do that anymore, but it was public information at the time. And I just walked into the corporate office in Soho and went to the receptionist and said, I would like to work or intern here. I just graduated with a degree in fashion design. Luckily at that moment, I was talking to the receptionist who gave me a very odd look. The head of the tech design department happened to be walking by. Um, and she said, I could use an intern. Uh, I'd be happy to have you on board. And I said, great. Um, I then continued to commute to New York City two to three times a week. The internships are always free. So fashion will always take free interns. There's not very much they need to do. It's just free help to them. So, um, I mean, I'm not surprised that they took an intern, but I was lucky enough to have the right person walking by at the right time. So while working in fashion, I worked under a lot of famous designers that I necessarily didn't see very often. While interning at Halston and working with Sarah Jessica Parker, I did a handful of times. Um, very polite. She didn't get too personal, but was never rude and um, was very on time um, had very lots of questions and wanted to make sure that everything was running smoothly and that everything was looking the way she wanted it to, but a very down to earth person and is just very lovely to work with. Well, Zach Posen, he wasn't very hands on. Um, I feel like he really enjoyed having the fame of being Zach Posen. He did not really do any of his own sketching and designing while there. He had an entire atelier that worked underneath him. Um, he would bop in, I mean, three times a week to look at the process, look at the designs, how they were going, what his team was coming up with. Um, but I really feel like he enjoyed the fame um, of what came with being a designer. The finances of the company were absolutely out of control. We always had paychecks that would bounce on Fridays. We were never paid on time. Um, our factories were never paid on time. Our bills were never paid on time. And we never knew if we actually were going to have a collection to sell the next season. 
My salary while working in the fashion industry was anywhere from 38,000 to 55,000, um, which at the time felt relatively fair. If I wanted to jump a five to $10,000 raise, I needed to switch jobs. It was not, it was not uncommon and it was hard to get a raise at a company. No garment right now can be made by a machine besides a sweater. A sweater, a knit sweater can be made by a machine. That's the only thing right now. Everything else is handmade. If you purchase a garment from Gap for $49.99, you know, they're wholesaling that what the cost is to make it is usually half of that. So if it's $29.99, let's say, then it's going to be $15.99 to make, which means that the material, the fabric, the buttons, the thread, the elastic, the hangers, the tag, the shipping, everything to get it to that store needs to cost $15.99. So what do we think that the laborer is getting paid to make it? What do you think, you know, they're at that time, usually about half of that cost is going to a laborer, if not less. Um, so people keep wanting clothes for cheaper and cheaper. And really you need to sacrifice its quantity over the, the cost. You know, people are making these things and we're paying countries and people literally no money because we need fast fashion. I don't think people realize that. Ever since I was born, I've wanted to design clothes. I'm not the obvious fashion bitch. Not a size two, not rich, not from a fabulous family. When I entered the industry after attending a highly regarded art school on loads of scholarships, I had a rude awakening to the environment that was fostered by high fashion. I started my career at one of the most famous fashion houses in the world. It was the type of job 10,000 people apply for, and only those who skip the line will ever get. It was a fashion house notorious for having one of the most brutal, ready-to-wear teams in Paris. I was exposed to the type of people who screamed at each other if a sample came in with the wrong button on it. I watched somebody get fired on the spot in the atelier for sewing top stitching one millimeter bigger than it was supposed to be. Effective immediately, the sewer packed up his things and left. I was often told that I was working too little with days starting at 9.30 a.m. and ending at 8 p.m. So I started to come in at 8 a.m., leave at 10 p.m., and come to practice on weekends. I earned about 1,100 euros a month with no overtime, and this was considered to be the highest paid apprenticeship in Paris. I was conditioned to believe nothing I created was good enough, and maybe it was true, but I sure did get better fast. I watched people get promoted to work in the creative director's office doing God knows what because they were pretty boys. I was told that anybody with an ethnic name would never be chosen as creative director because the image didn't fit the bill for fame. I didn't work with one person of color and watched someone refuse to go into a club because it was where, quote, the blacks were. When I confronted this behavior, it was shrugged off over and over again. This group of people didn't do anything outside of fashion. It's their life, their world, and it's filled with more glamour and cocaine than I'd ever imagined. There was an enormous amount of pressure to wear designer clothing, turn a blind eye to the designers who came in buzzed on coke at 10 a.m. on a Monday, and actually just compromise all of your morals to fit in. Every interest I had outside of fashion was considered lame or uncool. I finally gained the respect of the team because I started to be an absolute bitch. But despite the toxic environment, I was living my fashion fantasy. It was the work that kept me sane. 
and surviving it was and is one of the greatest accomplishments of my life. My second job in New York City was with a tiny brand that had been open for only four years. It was a team of three people, and we worked in a small gallery space in Chelsea. I walked into a studio with four or five sewers, one pattern maker, and two desks, all crammed in a seven by seven foot space with nothing but an HP printer and loose fabric rolls scattered about. I was hired to do, well, everything. A design assistant means working from 9am to 11pm or later 40 days in a row to clean up messes and deal with lateness when the creative director fails to meet deadlines. I was screamed at multiple times for issues such as late fabric deliveries that were completely the creative director and founder's fault, but everything was turned on me. I started saving the receipts, dated pictures of when decisions were made, and I started pulling them up during these conversations to prove her wrong. She hated me because I was good, and I could spot mistakes faster than she could. It threatened her as a designer. She made me hand-dye fabric in a kiddie pool in her apartment during Memorial Day weekend, and then again in the middle of the summer in a boiler room that was 95 degrees with the garage door closed so passerbys wouldn't steal her ideas. She would spend four-plus hours at the hair salon and weeks on end on vacation, but would make us work overnight because of her missed deadlines and poor decision-making. I didn't see the light of day for months because I was working dawn till dusk with no overtime. When I called the recruiter, she confided in me that she hadn't been paid by them yet, even for my hire six months prior. She also told me to stick it out because I wouldn't find a better job in high fashion, which is also a lie, and it's something people tell you to make you feel trapped in messy situations so they don't look bad. Through all of it, I learned a shit ton about working in New York fashion. I learned the nooks and crannies of the garment district from another person on my team who became one of my best friends and still holds the title of older sister in my life. I learned how to get shit done and do it faster than ever before. I learned how to face DHL debt collectors who came to our door in suits looking for the creative director and founder to pay $60,000 worth of overdue bills. I learned how to handle stress with poise and calmness to not escalate and contribute to psychotic behavior. It was the hardest, least rewarding, most sickening, and most toxic work experience I might ever have. If anybody is in a situation like that, I encourage you to leave because you are worth more than being screamed at when somebody is threatened by your talent and passion. Once again, my name is Allie Weiss, and this has been Tales of Taboo. If any of you listening have had similar experiences and are interested in sharing them with me under the indestructible shield of anonymity, please reach out. You can DM me on Instagram at Allie Weiss World, or you can send me an email, which honestly is preferable at AllieWeissWorld at gmail.com. Weiss is spelled W-E-I-S-S. Love letters, hate notes, complaints, death threats, anything else you have can be sent to that email address. And listen, real talk, I know it's extremely annoying when podcast hosts ask you to subscribe and share with your friends and leave a star rating and a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts, but it really does make a huge difference. I am a one-woman show. The show is not easy to make, and I believe so much in what I'm doing. Every review that I have on iTunes makes it easier for other people to find and love this show too. And if you love my work, I never ask you for a fucking dime. The least you can do is please leave me a review. Even if you want to say that I have the ugliest eyebrows on the face of the earth and my voice sounds like Fran Drescher's, 
yours, whatever, just leave it. Um, But seriously, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening, for your interest in this topic. And I am looking forward to seeing and hearing you next week. Bye.